be a part. I want to read to you my text in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. It says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in the hearts of your people in this church and watching online. God, I ask that you would continue to help us press forward and to move forward and make progress in every area that you have for us. God, let us not become stagnant or apathetic or in denial of what you have for us, but God, let us say yes to you today. We say yes to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray you're welcome to come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you sit down, take a full 60 seconds. We need to get some energy back up in this room, and I want you to high-five somebody, hug somebody, fist bump somebody, meet somebody new, and then you may be seated. So as you guys heard, my wife had a birthday yesterday, and um, yeah, she's amazing. 21 again, 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 again. And, um, no, 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 wait, what, what? I'm just saying she's timeless. Um, whatever. No, I just love my wife. I love her. And, um, I, I decided on, I didn't do so well on Valentine's day to be honest and transparent. She was less than impressed on Valentine's day. Um, no, she didn't. I just knew that I had not put forth the effort. Um, but, but I knew that I had put forth effort for her birthday weekend. So I had scheduled all kinds of things for people to hang out with her, people that she loves. And um, so I've surprised her. And, and there's more to come today. Get ready. Get ready. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, but the big stuff was already done. So uh, no, no high hopes today. But uh, anyway, she had a, she had a birthday, and, and it, it was all awesome. We went actually last night to uh, downtown Austin. We were going to have dinner somewhere, but the wait was two hours. So the wait was two hours, and I was not willing to wait two hours because I was hungry. Hangry. I was hungry. And so we, what we did, we had um, all of our kids. So we had, <coughs> excuse me, five kids plus Lawrence, and, uh, which is our kid plus. And we all rented scooters. Have you ever rented the scooters downtown? We rented the scooters, and we drove two and a half miles on scooters going, going through all downtown Austin. It was super, super fun, so much fun. We drove down to some place, Cabo Bob's, and had burritos. It's amazing. If you haven't been there, try it. Um, we, so we had to go, go down 6th Street for just a moment, <clears throat> just a moment. And uh, we crossed over, not that if you were there last night, that's a problem. I'm just saying to you, I had my 13-year-old there, and we crossed over 6th Street. And he says, hey, Dad, um, on the way home, he says, is 6th Street always that busy? And I'm like, uh, I wouldn't know. I'm a pastor. Uh, but it's actually usually way more busy than that. Um, so it wasn't too crazy, but it was, you know, crazy enough. And my kids were standing right next to us, and it, it was 
it was enough for them to have a bit of a culture shock because we live in Fleurville, right? Uh, but we were downtown last night till probably 10, 10.30. And this morning I woke up Tristan, who is my 13-year-old sitting on the second row. And I was like, hey, good morning. And I, we have a little intercom in our two-story house. So I, I can buzz them and I can say, good morning, good morning. Happy to you. It's time to wake up. The Lord loves you. And so Tristan walks down the stairs and he's standing there. Now, Tristan is normally our morning person, right? He smiles. Even if he's getting in trouble, he's smiling. <laughs> he's, he's really, it makes, it makes me mad sometimes. Cause I'm like, why are you smiling? I don't know. <laughs> this is not funny. You run the entire lasagna that we made. Cause you didn't put it up. Why are you smiling? I don't know. <laughs> so he's just like our, he's our happy boy. It drives me nuts. But this morning, not so much. He wasn't happy. He comes downstairs in his pajamas, pajama bottoms. And he's like, what dad? <laughs> and I'm like, baby, it's morning. You love morning time. He's like, can I sleep just 10 more minutes? And I was like, no, by the time you get up the stairs and fall back asleep, you're going to have to wake back up. There's no sense in that. Just good morning. It's a great morning. He just stands and looks at me. And I said, I know what your problem is. You were on 6th Street last night, weren't you? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I'm like, see, you spent too much time on 6th Street. So now you're not wanting to wake up for church. And he said, uh, we just crossed over the street, Dad. Can I go back to sleep? And so anyway, I didn't, I didn't let him go back to sleep. Um, but we've had a great, fantastic, wonderful weekend with Carrie's birthday. Uh, it was all, all wonderful until yesterday. One person uh, that was taking Carrie out for one of these birthday adventures um, didn't handle things so well. I'm not going to call her out. I'm not going to call Cheryl Biggs out at all. <laughs> Oh, did, I, did that just come out? Oh, speaking of, Cheryl Biggs is right back there. Cheryl, will you just wave at all of our first-time guests? So Cheryl Biggs is taking my wife in our car. Cheryl's driving, takes my wife in our car, and uh, takes her to this place to get a pedicure and a massage. And I get a phone call halfway through, and they tell me, that our car will not drive forward, it will only drive in reverse. <laughs> now, keep in mind, Cheryl's car is in the shop right now, so now she's broke a second car. Um, I, and I talked to her and I said, Cheryl, what, what's the, why? Why do you have to break, my, break your own car or break someone else's car? Why are you breaking my car? They were, at, they were in a parking lot and could not drive forward. They literally had to drive backwards to find a parking spot in the crazy area that they were in. And they parked it backwards. Isn't that amazing? Imagine Cheryl and my wife in a car looking backwards, driving backwards. And, and they said it was crowded, so they were having to maneuver around cars with blinkers on. Isn't that awesome? I wish I, I, wish I could have seen that. And so me, you know, I like to fix things. I'm a fixer, Scott. You know, if, if I see a problem, Keith, I, I fix it. That's just what I am. I'm a fixer. So I sell them, go get your massage, get your pedicure. Don't worry about it. I'm going to fix it. So I get in my Suburban that I try not to let Cheryl drive often because I want to keep it around for a while. <laughs> and uh, I get in my Suburban and I drive there and I look at the car, lift up the hood, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know. 
I Googled it. Google didn't have much to say. I mean, you would think they would have something to say. I couldn't find the transmission fluid. What's that? It's called a, yeah, see? Dipstick. I'm a fixer. And uh, I couldn't find that, so it's still actually sitting over here by Target. Our, our car is sitting by Target. Cheryl's going to have it towed today. And um, I got in the car, put it in drive, and it wouldn't drive. Put it in reverse, and it reversed. Put it in parked, and it parked. And I got, I got to thinking, how many of our lives right now are stuck in park or reverse? Neutral or drive? And by the way, if you're stuck in drive, that's not always a good thing. If, if you don't know how to shift gears in your world, Something's going to happen. So I wonder right now where we, where we are, are we, are we stuck in reverse, neutral, park, or drive? I'm talking about XO, love, relationships, and the church. And if you and I really want to create healthy relationships, like I talked last week, boundaries. Remember that conversation that we had? I said, hey, what does it look in the context of me and other people? How does that how does that flow? But really, we can't even have healthy relationships if we don't get one thing down right. Me. The greatest gift that you can give anyone else is a healthy you. I'm a little concerned that too many of us are blaming other people, other things, other circumstances, our bank accounts for the relationships that we have. Rather than having a hard conversation with ourselves, looking in the mirror saying, there are some things inside of me that has to change if I want my relationships to be healthy. So I, I want to take you to scripture. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 23. Jesus gives us two illustrations of relationships here. Verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, just like a little child, will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat people, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, I've done all of these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't talking about the rich people in our world, that it's really hard for them to get to heaven. All right, let's not be uh, uh, 
Let's not misappropriate scripture. That's not what this is about at all. So for all of us here today that are rich, I'm sorry, for all of you here today that are rich, that's not what scripture is saying. It's not saying you can't have money and you can't get to heaven at the same, do you know what I mean? It's not if you have money, it's does money have you. There's a difference. I'm afraid that too many of us feel like somehow eating the crumbs off the floor of the dining room give God glory. Well, when we talk about more of him, less of me, he's not talking about you and I acting like slaves and in a poverty mindset. God doesn't get glory by you starving and feasting off the crumbs. He gets glory by you sitting at the table where there's a buffet and feast enough for you to get full. That's how God gets glory. Can I get an amen from somebody? God doesn't need you to become smaller so that he gets bigger. Actually, you and I are already pretty small. He gets more glory when our lives get bigger. Because it's only through the grace and the mercy of God that you and I can live a life worthy of the high calling and step into the grandness of who he's called us to be. So this scripture is not about rich versus poor, but I do think it's very interesting that Jesus here is talking about children and then a rich man. Children and a rich man. It says something to me, about relationships and about kingdom dynamics in relationships. First of all, kids. How many of you like kids? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you pretend to like kids? Several of you. Oh, man. Let me do that again. Let me get. How many of you pretend to like kids? Pretend. Good, good. Be, be proud. Be proud. The truth shall set you free. All right. No one's going to ask you to babysit anymore. I like, I like kids, uh, kind of, in, in limited doses. I, I love kids. But, um, you know, my nieces, my, the Wheeler girls, I talk about them a lot because they're the youngest kids in relationship with me you know, that I interact with often. Brooklyn is age seven. Eight. Yes, she is. Oh, man. Changes every year. Hard to keep track. Um, Brooklyn is age eight. Kenzie is six. Uh, and the twins are five, four. <laughs> five, four. And you've heard how the, they don't actually like me much. Um, Brooklyn, I think, is start. she likes me. She's like eight. It's taken a good eight years for her to see my value. Uh, Kenzie, Kenzie is six. She's, she, uh, you know, not that I'm supposed to have favorites, but I'm just saying, I think that she liked me long before the other kids did. She did. Keller, why are you laughing? Yeah, she's, no, she's sweet. She's gorgeous and beautiful like they all are, but she actually liked me back. Um, so I have a soft spot in my heart for Kenzie. And then the twins, still working on them. Um, Delaney, you know, she's the dark-headed one. I, she doesn't even like looking or breathing the oxygen that I breathe. What'd I say? Well, I mean, red versus dark. It's brown. Brown, sorry, dark. Whatever, you know, Delaney. She, she gives me no, no, she gives me no time of day. Caitlin, redhead. 
She will give me time of day to, number one, get something she wants from me. And number two, pick on me. She will. She will. She's a little stinker. I, I love them all. But, but here's what I found. The Wheeler kids, as do your kids, understand who their mama and daddy are. They do. In first service, before first service, Keith, I don't know if you know this, um, but your wife was trying to drop, drop off your, your youngest in children's ministry. And they were holding Erica's neck, like crying, screaming. Not that bad. I'm exaggerating for, you know, sermon's sake. Um, but they were crying. And it's not because the people in the, in the children's ministry are bad to her, right? She, she loves it when she's there. But she's, that's that transition of here's mom. This is not mom. And so it's moving from here to there. You know why? Because kids are really, really good about knowing uh, who they trust and who they're not sure. You know, it, it's taken Brooklyn eight years to trust me. Are you with me? Do you, you ever seen that? You ever tried to be nice to a kid in the store even? Th little three-year-old, four-year-old? And then you're like, hey, how are you? And they're nip. And you smile like you think it's cute, but inside you're saying, if I were that kid's parent. <laughs> yeah, you've done it. You've done it. Kids are really good about understanding what priorities are. The rich man was very clear on his priority, but not on the right priority. And I love kind of this raw nature of kids to where they're going to trust until, you know, they learn differently, but they're very moldable. And then you see this older man who's very tied into his money and prosperity and his fame and his, his name. So my question to you today is, at what place and what point are you going to be okay with other people weighing in on you as a person. There have been moments where Amber, my sister, has her kids and she says, it's okay, it's Uncle Trey. Give him a hug, right? And I stand there and wait and it doesn't happen. And she says, no, it's okay, it's Uncle... Give him a hug. Give him a hug. And I stand there and I lean in, lean in a bit and then they hold on to her neck tighter. And eventually, because they trust the voice of their mother, they begin to lean into the trust of me. So if we want to have solid relationships, if we want intimacy between us and other people, whether that's our spouse, our coworkers, and our kids or our parents, we have to understand a few fundamentals that I want to share with you today. So on your notes, if you'll draw two circles just like this, this is called a Venn diagram. Anyone ever heard of a Venn diagram before? A few of us, yeah. On the left side of this Venn diagram, I'm going to call this me. Me. And you're going to write that too. On your notes, write me. Don't write Pastor Trey. Because that is you. Me. There are things in my life that I see. Over here, I'm going to put 
you. Or I'll put maybe a better word. Them. Maybe even a better word. They. They is a word. Over here, where it overlaps, what do you think that's going to be? Uh, I like we better. <laughs> but maybe it's maybe it's we. Maybe um, maybe it's us. What else could it be? Vosotros. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Okay, we. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it at we. This is. This is what I see about my life. This, where it overlaps, is you and I see this. This is the we. Are you with me? No one's writing down because you think you got this memorized. So there's going to be a pop quiz. What areas can I not see? What area is not in the me circle. I'm sorry? They, you, them. Anything else? Outside of the circle. Okay, so what's outside of the circle? If this is the canvas of my life, what is outside of the circle? This is what God sees. Would you agree that God sees everything that you can't see and I can't see? Yeah. So God can see everything. He can see everything I can see. He can see everything we can see. He can see everything that you can see, that they can see, that them, they, them see. What? You, you get the point. He sees the entire, entire canvas. And so I want to talk to you for a moment about these different areas because we have to get this down right if we want to be able to understand intimacy in relationships. Many of us, first of all, should probably start in the me section. That's where I need to start. Well, what is the me circle? The me is what? What only I can see and what I and you can see. There are things that you know about me that I also know about me. Like, what can we agree on right now? We can agree right now that I'm uh, wearing a black jacket. We, we, we can agree right now that I'm wearing black pants and a purple shirt. We, we can agree that I'm good looking. We can agree that I'm married. We can agree that I have kids. We can agree that I'm in church. There are... There are things that you and I can agree, right? Some of you maybe know my history and my past and my struggles. And so that's common ground. We both know that. You know what I've been through. I know what I've been through. You know what uh, my wife uh, and kids have been through as a family. You know about the adoption. So that's easy, isn't it? The problem is... In the me section, oftentimes there's this little area that's dysfunctional. You see, over here, this is what I know about me that you can't see. Did you know 
that there are things I know about me that you don't know. I mean, I speak every Sunday. I'm pretty, I'm pretty vulnerable. I'm pretty transparent for the most part. Um, you guys know a lot. You guys probably know more about me than I know about you. Now, if I sat and listened to you for 30 to 40 minutes once a week, I, I would know more about you, right? But you know an awful lot about me, probably more than I know about you. But there are areas in my life that you don't know. Only I know. There are areas about my life that, that my wife doesn't know. Only I know. There are areas my kids don't know. Only I know. Now, hopefully, the closer I am to someone, the bigger this gap becomes, right? So these should overlap a bit more. For my wife, there should be a bigger we than me and Scott. That would make sense. The bigger the we, the bigger the intimacy. Yeah? But there are still and always will be certain fears, insecurities, thoughts, patterns, habits, things that I only take to God because only God and I know everything. But there is this one area of dysfunction. There's this new word going around, Nancy. It's called self-aware. I like the word. I think it's really clever. I think it's real hip. It's like millennial, like, hey, yeah, let's be self-aware. I love it. I love it because I think God is very self-aware, and I think you and I need to be very self-aware, but here's the problem. Many of us think we're self-aware when in reality we're just self-absorbed. What does self-aware even mean? Self-aware means um, I know what I want. I know what I think. I know what I feel. I know what my dreams are. I know the space that I'm in. This sounds really... Really too, too much. I'm going to layer it down a bit. But I know the space that I carry, the space that I step into. I know me. I see it all, right? That's self-aware. But self-aware goes beyond self-absorbed. Self-absorbed would stop there. I know all about me. But self-aware takes it a step further and says, I know all about me, but I see how it impacts you. That's self-aware. So there's this dysfunctional side over here that we can tend to slip into and be self-absorbed to where we just get to know who we are and not in relation to how we impact other people. Then we have this we section. My wife, Carrie, who's 21 again, again, knows an awful lot about me. I, I would say more than I care for her to know, except the fact that I love that she knows me so deeply. Because when she knows me so deeply, yet continues to love me, it pulls out the best in me. So we have an awful big we Did you know, I heard this week, that in a relationship, marriage, parent-child, parent-coworker, any relationship, 
69% of issues never get resolved. 69%. Meaning, you and your spouse, 70% of the time, will not agree and be in, in perfect agreement on any kind of thing, whatever that looks like. That's crazy, isn't it? Because you think, oh, I'm married to someone. I need to be in complete agreement. But you can have alignment without agreement. I'll give you an example. I will never feel like life is grand with large dogs that shed. Never. It's just not going to happen. I don't care. I don't care um, how my wife tries to convince me that they're amazing. I actually am wearing some of them as an accessory today. I'm just not, I'm not going to be that dog person. I'm not, I'm never, I'm not. I have dogs because I love my wife. She will always think they hung the moon. She will just get so excited. You know, they'll come in, she'll come in the door and they'll just jump all over and run over. And like they will, they will jump through the air approximately two football fields long, land on my couch, rearrange my furniture in the process just to say hello to her. And she says, oh, I missed you too. I, I will never think that's cute. Never. No, it's not sad. It's, it's, it's called me. I won't, but you know what? That's okay. It is actually okay for her to adore animals and for me to not. That's okay. I don't need to be ashamed of that. And she doesn't need to be ashamed of the ungodly soul tie she has with these animals. of our issues never get resolved. We just learn to agree to disagree, right? In in the section of we, is the ketchup in the pantry or the refrigerator, right? We have these, is the toilet paper over or under? We have these kinds of disagreements, 69%. However, it's in this area of we that there's a lot of room for growth. Because I can actually learn to tolerate and and be a part of an animal's world more than if I didn't have my wife, right? The next one is you see. What do you see? What do they see? What What do you see? Who sees that? They do. Someone else is saying something about your life that you don't see. And that's the most painful one. You have to ask yourself, though, do you trust them? I went through a really hard season of my life. a few I had a few yous that saw things about me that I didn't I thought it wasn't a problem I thought it's not a big deal 
I remember making the conscious effort in this season of my life to dig my heels in and to say, I trust them enough that if they see that about me, then I need to believe them. Because the people that really love you and care enough to fight for you when you don't even know to fight for yourself, you hang on to those people. But who's the right them? Who's the right, who's the right you? Here, here's the thing, oftentimes, and you have to get this right, otherwise you just feel like you're chasing everyone else's dream for your life. There is a right you, there is a right they, there is a right them. If you've given someone a piece of your heart, access to your heart, then you should trust them to speak back into you that which you cannot see. Unfortunately, there are too many people going around trying to be the them of someone else's life and they've not been given that right. So I give you, I give you the freedom right now. If you hear someone saying something about you that you feel like may not be right, or maybe it is, if you've not chosen to give them a piece of your heart, I give you the freedom right now to reject their opinion. Isn't that freeing? Can we just take a deep breath in right now? We just reject the opinion of every person that would weigh in on our life that is not a divine connection. And it's okay. It is okay for us to reject the opinion of others, but God, we, we do ask that we wouldn't be so conditioned to reject the opinions of others that we miss those divine moments where opinions matter. Even the opinions that we disagree with, even the opinions that we don't think is a problem, but God, that it would just speak to our spirits. God, that we would lean into that and use that for healing. God, the blind spots, the blind spots that others see and we can't see. God, just open our eyes to that. So God, right now in the name of Jesus, over the next seven days, over the next seven days, I ask God that you would just help us to lean into being the best version of us that you have for us to be.